Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Two Chairs No Waiting, episode number 719, Just Andy. Two Chairs No Waiting is brought to you each week by the folks over at WeaversDepartmentStore.com. Drop by over at Weaver's and check it out. Floyd found his favorite T-shirt over there. It's Pink Floyd, by the way. Uh, visit over to Weaver's and find yours. And while you're there, you might want to look around. There's all kinds of books. Uh, there's uh, jackets, little fleece jackets. The calendars are on sale right now. You can get two. Let's see, you buy one, get one, half price. Head over to WeaversDepartmentStore.com and check it out while supplies last. Two Chairs No Waiting is also brought to you by donations from listeners like you. The executive producer of Two Chairs No Waiting, episode number 719, is Mark Copeland. And the high sheriff, I guess the high sheriffs of the Two Chairs No Waiting, uh, 719, is Rex and Penny and Jamie Pennycuff, Rex and Jamie Pennycuff. Thank you guys. And thank you for being here. I appreciate their support and I appreciate your support for being here with me. I'm Alan Newsom, the host of two chairs, no waiting. I've been doing this for 719 episodes now. That's been a few years and uh, it's still a, amazes some people that I still have things I can come up with to talk about the Andy Griffith show or Andy Griffith show related. But if you know me, I can pretty much do that at the drop of a hat. Anytime you come around me, I can connect things to the Andy Griffith show. <laughs> That's kind of a truth statement. Uh, almost anything ends up being a quote or something else. So hopefully you're like that a little bit too. And if you're not, I want to get you into that. Uh, so this episode, we're going to be talking about a, a newspaper article. Well, actually, it's not a newspaper article. This is a, it's from a January 1954 article about Andy Griffith and his wife, Barbara Griffith, at the time. And it's from the State Magazine, is what it was called. Uh, the, uh, that, that is the North Carolina magazine that uh, tells all about people and places around the state of North Carolina. And it was called The State. And over the years since then, it, it's been renamed to Our State uh, it's been around, it's been being published since 1933. Well, this article, I don't know who found this. I don't know, but I, there's this great article that somebody posted on Facebook. I thought I had captured their name. I would love to give them credit for being the one that I found this from. 
but I can't find it. So if it was you, I apologize that I've stolen your <laughs> stolen your story and not going to be able to give you credit for it. But I definitely wanted to be able to show this and talk to you, uh, talk to you guys about this, so you could see it too. So I'm going to get a little background music going because this is uh, it's just me reading, so I always feel like it needs. I don't know, just a little bit of background music playing. So um, I'm going to play this. There we go. I'm going to tune it way down, though, just a little bit. And we're going to talk about the article is actually called Who It Was Was Just Andy Griffith. So we're going to do that in just a second. I want you to stick around. Even if you don't want to hear this, you can fast forward or whatever. Randy Turner has got a report coming up for you that's part two of his report about Jack Prince. So you definitely want to stick around for that we'll probably play some trivia at some point in the evening or whenever you're listening to this as well so let's go and see what we can find out about uh who it was is andy griffith so there it is so who it was was just andy uh you know he made that football that funny football record it says now this was written by betty elliott uh so uh, it's a, like I said, this is from 1953. Here we go. The shaggy young man slouched informally on the improvised stage. And this Romeo was a spunky kind of boy. He said, wrink, wrinkling deeply his furrowed brow, his, uh, the, his audience giggled. And he was so struck by Juliet, he gave this so sequiloquy. I can't even say <laughs> soliloquy. He gave this soliloquy right there. That's what Andy said. The audience howled. What kind of comedian is this who can cause such uncontrollable merriment without the aid of blue jokes? Uh, or running gags, or snappy patter, or insane annexe. Uh Andrew Samuel Griffith, Mount Airy's gift to the circle of funny men, is now enjoying a fame he really didn't seek. It sought him. A tall, skinny kid. He was a tall, skinny kid. Uh, who wanted to play trombone, and he wound up years later delivering funny monologues before hundreds of North Carolina audiences. No self-respecting Tar Heel record collector would be without Andy's Romeo and Juliet and what it was was football. Sales of the thing have been sensational. Now, Capitol Records has the rights to produce the record on a large scale for all over the country. People are asking about that football record. Andy met Barbara Edwards three years ago at Chapel Hill while they were both music students. Andy played third trombone in the university orchestra and sang Gilbert and Sullivan roles credibly well. After a brief spell at teaching music in Goldsboro, Andy took his bride to New York, but auditions there resulted in nothing. 
His singing career seemed over before it had begun. Back home, the discouraged Griffiths happened to run into Ansley Pryor, then director of Raleigh Little Theater. The three had been friends for several years, and Andy had been cast as Sir Walter Riley and Barbara as Eleanor Dare in Paul Green's The Last The Lost Colony for several seasons. Pryor played a number of smaller parts. Andy, said Pryor, you're a pretty funny fella. Pryor was remembering the hilarious monologues that Andy used to deliver for the beach crowds in Mantio. So Andy decided to do this Preacher and the Bear act for a little theater production of The Drunkard. The play appeared in Raleigh in May 1952. It was one of those horrible melodramas that everyone loves so much with an evil villain and all. And Deacon Andy stole the show from the hair-pulling heroine. Thus, the young and youthful Mount Airy Mimic launched upon a new career. Barbara's lovely voice and her dancing ability, combined with Andy's earthly or earthy carrion's own, proved a hit with the conventioners, civics groups, and anyone with entertainment problems on his hands. It started out small. You know, it's typical of early engagements and was before a club in Capon, Capon, C-A-P-O-N. I'm not sure how you say that. Virginia, it was a population of 300. Now, the uh, unusual husband and wife team is book solid for many weeks to come. Veterans of the one-nighter, Andy and Barbara, take a lot in their stride. They have performed on every sort of makeshift stage. Often there's no dressing room and only a screen in full view of the audience. Barbara has to trust the luck uh, as she makes her quick changes. (laughs) In one town, Barbara had to change costumes in a room that was a mass of floor-to-ceiling windows and no shades. She solved this problem by lying flat on her back as she flung off one gown and wiggled into another. Andy has a routine on the classic ballet Swan Lake, and so all them princes went across the lake to shoot them a mess of swans, he says on that. His own version of Hamlet, just another high school boy, and a deadpan take on the that Johnny Ray Hara, please, Mr. Son, in which he gives popular ditties the works. It's all a lot more than Cracker Barrel humor. Andy is a sharp satirist without being mean. He's handsome without being conceited, and he's intelligent without being a snob. The future? Andy is definite. I want nightclub work. Television would kill me dead in a year. 
The thought of a radio mic sets him to shaking like a leaf. And most people agree you have to see Andy in the flesh to really appreciate him. Barbara intends to bow out of the picture. She wants to study voice and drama and be a performer in her own right. Meanwhile, the deacon knocks them cold with his furrowed brow, his deadpan satire, and with lines like, So Romeo give this soliloquy right there, not on being or not being, but on doing or not doing. And that's the end of the article. And folks, I mean, we've got the advantage. I guess we have heard those uh, stories all these years. But uh, Andy and Barbara were working so hard at that time. This was, again, 1954. So this was six years before the Andy Griffith Show. And they were working. Can you? How'd you like that line about uh, television would kill him? You know, the, the, t- the TV would probably kill him in a year. <laughs> He went on after that, you know, of course, in 1960, on October the 3rd, the Andy Griffith Show premiered and went on for eight seasons. And then, of course, later in his career, went back and did Matlock. So I think television was pretty good to Andy. And I'm sure so was, as he said, uh, you know, these uh, nightclub performances but I'm pretty sure he did a little bit better than he expected on television. So anyway, I just thought this was a really cool article that, again, I'm sorry I can't tell you who posted this. Perhaps they will be able to tell tell us, and maybe they can say soliloquy uh, better than I did at least the first time. <laughs> but I want to thank them. Uh, this is a really cool article. I'd never seen this before. And again, I, I keep coming up with things to talk about, but uh, this is something I don't think many Mayberry fans had seen either. So I hope you enjoyed that. All right. So to move along here, we have a report from our roving reporter, Randy Turner, with this week in in uh, Mayberry history. So let's take it away. Welcome to This Week in Mayberry History, a report by special correspondent Randy Turner of the Gomer and Cooper Pyle Comic Book Literary Guild of the Mayberry Historical Society. Jack Prince's first opportunity to originate a role on Broadway led to him playing several moonshiners in Mayberry. As we discussed last week, after following Stubby K and taking over Stubby's roles in Guys and Dolls, and then Lil Abner on Broadway, Jack was cast as Washington Dimsdale, the sidekick to the title character in the musical Destry Rides Again. The lead character of Tom Destry was played by Andy Griffith in his second Broadway role after his debut in No Time for Sergeants. Destry Rides Again opened on April the 23rd, 1959, and ran for over a year, closing on June the 18th, 1960. Andy Griffith has said the show was not doing well and that seats were filled by offering two-for-one tickets. He claimed that choreography and dancing were the only things keeping the show open. Andy had a tendency to be self-effacing in some things. I obviously never saw the show, 
but it did get four Tony Award nominations, including one for Andy as Best Actor in a Musical. And the show did win a Tony for its choreography. In the musical, Andy, as Tom Destry, the new sheriff, was reluctant to wear a gun, feeling things could usually be resolved without one. Sound familiar? Andy and Jack's character sing a song about this called Ballad of the Gun. It opens with Destry saying, those who live by the gun are going to die by the gun. Andy and Jack became friends while performing together in Destry Rides Again. After Andy filmed the pilot for The Andy Griffith Show while on winter hiatus from the musical, and the series was picked up, he did not forget about his friend Jack. Andy attended more than one of Jack's singing gigs in Las Vegas, to which Jack had returned to after Destry closed. At one of the shows, and with the Mayberry series having proved an early success, Andy asked Jack to appear in the series. Jack did just that for the first time in Alcohol and Old Lace, which aired during the first season on January the 30th, 1961. Jack played Ben Sewell, a moonshiner in competition with the Morrison sisters. Later that season, Jack dropped by the set to see his friend Andy and quickly found himself being asked to play another small role in an episode they were getting ready to film. He played a different moonshiner, Luke Rayner, in The Inspector, which aired April the 10th, 1961. A couple of weeks later, he was asked back again to play an unnamed potential customer at the Scobie rummage sale in Andy Forecloses. While Jack still was doing little acting in TV series, he did play a bailiff in a 1961 episode of The Danny Thomas Show. Jack returned in the second season, this time as Moonshiner, are you noticing a pattern? Moonshiner Rafe Hollister. He first played Rafe, who turned himself in in Sheriff Barney, which aired on Christmas Day, 1961. The following month, he was back as Rafe, who was reluctant to get his shot, in The County Nurse, which aired on March the 19th, 1962. In The County Nurse, he fired his rifle at Andy, just as both Ben Sewell and Luke Rayner had done, making Jack the only actor to play three different characters, all of who shot at Andy. Andy wanted Jack to play a regularly recurring character in Mayberry, similarly to Otis, Floyd, and so many more. It is not clear exactly when he first floated this idea to Jack, though he had certainly done so by the time Jack had played Rafe Hollister twice during season two. But Jack turned down the offer, preferring to concentrate on his nightclub singing career. Andy was obviously already familiar with Jack's strong singing voice, having performed with him in Destry Rides Again and having seen him in concert in Vegas. Bob Sweeney was the regular director for most of the first three seasons, and he had directed Jack in all of his appearances. He likely knew Jack and Andy had met performing together on Broadway, but he had never actually heard Jack sing. After Jack's second appearance as Rafe, Sweeney decided to go to one of Jack's Las Vegas shows. He was blown away and told Jack he had no idea he was such a wonderful singer. 
Sweeney insisted they work his singing into an episode. The result was Jack's third time playing Ray Hollister, this time in Ray Hollister Sings, which aired February the 11th, 1963. Reportedly, after this episode, other producers, in addition to Andy, tried to get Jack to join the cast, but he still was not interested. In spite of his work on Broadway, he felt he was a singer and not truly an actor. Next week, we'll conclude our look at Jack Prince and his relationship to The Andy Griffith Show. So thanks for listening, and remember to take Andy's advice and go out there and act like somebody. Uh, thank you, Randy, for that amazing report. Wow, he always has such good information. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on what Randy's doing on the internet and around everywhere else, send him an email at turnersgrade at gmail.com, turnersgrade at gmail.com, and he'll make sure you don't miss out on anything. So thanks again, Randy. Uh, you know, uh, the chat room folks are in here saying, Rafe looks good enough to get buried. <laughs> There's so many comments going on folks if you'd like to be a part of the chat room on monday nights at 8 p.m eastern time you can join us at live.twochairsnowaiting.com and we have a live show almost every week and record this podcast and folks in the chat room uh, are enjoying themselves and having a good time uh also a quote came over about rafe was i thought you was a law <laughs> Oh, so those are the kind of things I laugh about all the time because I love quotes. Uh, they're absolutely amazing. Randy, great job. And thank you again for your amazing reports uh, here on the podcast. All right, guys, uh, let's have a little fun with some trivia. You guys ready? All right. So here's the trivia. First question is probably going to be true or false. I was right. I get a point. Oh, no. <laughs> okay. First question is true or false. Opie printed his own newspaper. True or false? Opie printed his own newspaper. True or false? This is pretty easy. I'm not going to read it, but I'm going to give you the answer after I read it this time. Opie printed his own newspaper. That is true. That is true. He printed his own newspaper. All right. Speaking of that, what was the name of Opie and Howie's newspaper? What was the name of Opie and Howie's newspaper? Hmm. What was its name? <laughs> oh, that's big news on third grade, but whatever or whatever. The, all right, what was the name of Opie's newspaper? It was Opie and Howie. Howie was, obviously, they were doing it in Howie's garage. Uh, the name of it was The Mayberry Sun. The Mayberry Sun, S-U-N, Sun. All right, number three. What was the name of the TV repairman played by Howard Morris? What was the name of the TV repaired man played by Howard Morris? Uh, yeah, what was his name? Do you remember the TV repaired man? You do, right? What was the name of the TV repair man played by Howard Morris? His name was George. It was George. You remember that was when Andy and Helen were having their day up at Myers Lake, or I think it was Myers Lake, at the lake. 
and uh, Barney brought George out there because you know he wasn't going to let George take the TV and to fix it, I think, or something like that. So his name was George, and it was played by Howard Morris. Number four, how much did Opie and Howie charge for their first newspaper? How much did Howie and Opie, or Opie and Howie, how much did they charge for their first newspaper? How much did they charge? I'll give you a multiple choice. Did they charge one cent, three cents, five cents, or ten cents? What did they charge? How much did Opie and Howie charge for their first newspaper? Yeah, folks in the chat room are saying one thing. I have the answer here according to what I have. You can correct me. But the answer is they charge three cents. Three cents. Yeah, three cents because they had to give Barney change, if I remember right. Okay, three cents is what I've got. Uh, a penny for kids and three cents for adults. All right, that was okay. So if you said a penny and you are under uh, 15, I'll give you the answer as being right. <laughs> if you're not, it costs you three cents. All right, all right, here we go. Number five, number five. So thanks, Jim Cheryl, basically in the chat room here. He's our trivia champion from Mayberry Days, uh, multiple time. And he said a penny for kids and three cents for adults. Good job, Jim. Thank you. All right. Number five, true or false? Aunt B was selected as the spokesperson for Foster's Furniture Polish. True or false? Aunt B was selected as the spokesperson for Foster's for Foster's. Furniture polish. Okay. True or false? It's pretty easy. You got a 50-50 chance. So I'll give it the answer right after I read it. Aunt B was selected as a spokesman for Foster's Furniture Polish. The answer is true. That is true. Number six. Who was the hero after the cave rescue? Who was a hero after the cave rescue? Hmm. Okay, who was a hero after the cave rescue? Okay. Who was the hero after the cave rescue? The answer is, is Barney. Barney was the hero of the cave rescue. Now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their neighbor. Approach the cave slowly. Slowly! <laughs> I can't do Barney's voice. I wouldn't even try. All right. Number, what are we going? Six, seven, seven. What song did Opie sing for the Darlings? What song did Opie sing for the Darlings? Hmm. What song did Opie sing for the Darlings? The answer. Do you know it? What song did Opie sing for the Darlings? I don't think I have that song. Let me let me look while you're thinking. Do you know it? I don't think I have it, or I would play it for you. I don't see it. It was Old Dan Tucker. Old Dan Tucker. Yeah, I don't think I have it on 
can't just pull it up. Doggone. That would have been fun to do, wouldn't it? All right. Number eight. How much did a jar of Miracle Salve cost? How much how much did a jar of Miracle Salve cost? Okay, if I'm gonna give you multiple choice. This is question number eight. That's our final question. How much did a jar of Miracle Salve cost? Was it fifteen cents, twenty cents, thirty-five cents, or fifty cents? There you go. Now it down for you. How much did a jar of Miracle Salve cost? 15, 20, 35, or 50 cents? Okay, so the answer is 35 cents. It was 35 cents. That is correct. 35 cents. All right. How did you do, guys? How did you do? Did you have fun? That's the main thing. It's uh, That's uh, eight questions. Did you get all eight? Did you get one <laughs> does it matter it doesn't really matter as long as you had fun doing it that's really all i care about folks hey i want to thank you again for just being here and being a part of the podcast i want to thank our supporters over at patreon we have a whole list of folks that watch the show or listen to the show that are supporters from over at patreon and I thank them as well as our folks who are executive producer and high sheriffs as well for all they do to just help me pay for all the expenses related to the podcast. Thank you all for that. I want to ask if you would, if you're not subscribed, if you watch the video version, please subscribe and like the podcast so maybe more people will find it. And if you're not subscribed to the audio version, if you like, if that's what you listen to, Please do that as well. Thanks to all of you for all what you do. Just helping to keep the Mayberry spirit going. Go out there and tell people about the Andy Griffith Show, about the Mayberry Man movie, which we're going to be covering some of that stuff in the coming weeks. So hopefully you've watched the Mayberry Man movie. It's not going to be next week or the week after, but it'll be soon. We're going to be covering and kind of going into details on the Mayberry Man movie, there's so many Mayberry references in that. Andy Griffith Show direct references that I want to start going through and trying to find them all. Hope you'll join me in doing that. That'll be a lot of fun. You can send in yours that you caught. Send me an email at floyd at imayberry.com or call in at 888-684-8415. Let me hear from you. And folks, until next time, go out there and act like somebody. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Mother's Day is almost here. And you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.